This is Media Moves, the podcast for executives to make sense of the perpetually moving media landscape. I'm Adam Ryan. Hello, Preston. Thanks for coming on. Uh, excited to dig in about flying. Hey, Adam. Thanks for having me. I, uh, I appreciate coming on the pod. I've been uh, watching in the shadows, I guess, uh, what you've been building and been super impressed. So really excited to get to chat with you and, and kind of jam on some, some ideas that we're seeing. Yeah, I was telling you, I think to use the the pun, I, I think Flying Magazine has been flying under the radar and there's so much that people can can learn. So let's jump in. I was talking to you about trends uh, before this of like, where do you see coming? I'd love to identify in your mind, you know, you're running day to day a Flying Magazine. I think one, when people just hear magazine, you're like, oh, is this is this like this old, not sophisticated business model that you're just like using this like arbitrage cash of, of print, but it's not at all. Um, do you want to tell everyone a little bit about Flying Magazine before we, we get into like how you see the future? Yeah, absolutely. So Flying Magazine has been around since 1927 and uh, it was started around Amelia Earhart's flight. And that was kind of the very start of it. It was originally titled Popular Aviation. And uh, if you're familiar with popular science, they were cousins and uh, renamed to flying, I think it's after about four years, it's, it, had, it adopted a couple of different names really early on and then really settled on, on flying in the early 40s. Uh, it was a Ziff Davis publication for a period of time. Um, if anybody <laughs> in course. traditional media is out there, you've, you've heard that name. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it really, it got fun. passed around. It got passed around between a couple of different big publishers. Uh, so we acquired it from Bonnier Corporation in July of 2021. So if anybody is familiar and, and you probably are, if you listen to this podcast, you uh, you might be in this world, but Craig Fuller, who started Freight Waves, had kind of found himself in the, the founder conundrum where he had fired himself from every day-to-day job and started looking for hobbies. And so he picked back up flying and aviation after a, about a 20-year hiatus and uh, started reading around, doing research and realizing that Aviation media left a lot to be desired from a media consumption standpoint, and so he said, "Well, let me see if I can uh, if I can go find uh, an aviation media property and and kind of build a modern media business around it." And so he started shopping, and he had remembered as a boy reading Flying Magazine, um, and he went and picked one up at at the newsstand, which is a ancient word, but he went to the newsstand and picked one up and uh, realized that it was a bit of a it was a bit of a shell of its former self from a quality standpoint from what he remembered. And so he, uh, he called up Bonnier and, and asked if they'd be willing to divest of that title. And by happen chance, they had been already having those discussions. And so it turned out being really cool. It's, it's funny in, in aviation, there is another Craig Fuller who is an industry guy, not the same Craig Fuller. Uh, but our thesis is that the only reason they took the call was because they share that name. So that was kind of funny. Um, That's funny. Yeah, so we we've kind of have like an internal saying like not that Craig Fuller, which is kind of funny. So, so yeah, so we bought the magazine, um, and and originally, uh, as is kind of the move right now, is you buy a print magazine and kill the paper, right? Like get rid of the actual print product of it. You look at Red Ventures and a couple of the others, right? Buying titles with magazine in the title, but they don't actually do any printing. That was our thesis at first. But when we came in, we started talking to commercial partners and our commercial partners started saying, hey, you know, print actually moves the needle for us. 
as opposed to digital. And uh, we really would like for you to keep the print product um, or else, you know, it might not make sense for us to spend money. We said, okay, well. You don't hear that a lot. Yeah, it's really interesting. And the more that we've been in aviation, the more we realize like there is a lot of affinity towards print. And so we said, okay, if we're going to keep printing, uh, because that's what kind of our commercial partners are looking for, um, aviation's not exactly an inexpensive hobby. It's a hobby that requires a lot of disposable income. So we're going to really make it a higher end publication. And so we took the paper quality and three x it, right? So when you talk about paper, you, you have weight and pounds. I am not a originally a print guy. So I've had a crash course in print media over the last eight months and learning about all the different nuances that come to it. And so are your like mentors like 85 years old? No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Yeah, um. no kidding. Well, it's funny. <laughs> I, it's print, you know, media is a small world and nowadays right. print is a really small world. I mean, I've talked to heads of distribution at everybody's favorite magazine, probably at this point, because it's, you know, oh yeah, he used to do this and that, you know, been in print for a long time. It's kind of a, it's a really small industry. So anyway, so we went, we went super high end. And if you're on video, I'll show, this is our, this is our Q1 issue. So it's a lot thicker. So if you're on audio, I will give you a description. Yeah. So it's, it's about three times the thickness, you know, about 30 extra pages. Um, and we actually just I'll give the, your viewers an exclusive look. This just got to my house Ooh, yesterday. I look but sharp. Yeah, this is this is the Q2 issue. And so we were inspired by Golfer's Journal and Surfer's Journal and a lot of these really higher end publications to really, uh, if you have a really passionate group of people, to really give them something that's beautiful. So that's a bit of background on wh- how we've gotten to where we are on the print side. And then, I mean, digitally, for anybody who's, you know, digital media operators, I mean, we moved from the WAPO site that Bonnie was hosting on. And if you've ever used the WAPO CMS, it leaves a lot to be desired. And uh, yeah. we moved over to WordPress, our Google Discover traffic, like hockey sticked up to the right. I mean, it was like, as soon as we got off WAPO, like Google said, ah, there you are. So yeah, so that's kind of, that's been the evolution. It's been uh, a whirlwind and, you know, learning an industry and doing all that. And you know, we got a couple other things going on too. So, yeah. I, so, tell us a little bit about before we get into what's next. What drew me into having you on is that you subtly, but Craig not so subtly, talk about how Freight Waves has now built amazing software. In many ways, they've taken media and built products that have I forget the latest valuation, but hundreds of millions of dollars in, in valuation for that business. One of the most successful media businesses today is freight waves. It feels like flying is potentially following a similar playbook, or at least you could assume that. So like, how do you think about that with aviation? Like, what do you think about the core media business as a whole, like the P&L side of it and and that? And then like, how do you actually capitalize the authority and influence that you have of a nearly hundred old publication? So Craig does a lot of uh, interviews where he talks about negative CAC yeah. You know, you have negative, you, you get paid as if you have a media business that is monetized via advertising, you actually have negative customer acquisition cost. And so, you know, when, when he first called me and said, I'm buying a magazine, my first response was, why, why would you buy a magazine today? And uh, he said, you know, we're, we're going to figure out how to monetize this 
in an alternative way. So you want to come help me figure that out? I said, absolutely. Sounds like fun. And so we were exploring what was going to be our big monetization piece. In aviation, there's a couple of data providers and there's a ton of data inputs when you start talking about aviation data. And just to give a little bit of clarifying, when you say when we say flying, a lot of people instantly jump to 747s and commercial airliners. stuff. Yeah. We are everything below that. We cover everything from the very top end is going to be your Gulfstream G650 all the way down to your Cessna 172. And then you can even get, you know, smaller than that. You're talking about like home built people that build their own really small aircraft and fly them in the back country. So it's, it's that entire range is what we cover. And so there are some data providers out there and, and building a data business requires a lot of, a lot of upfront capital. And, you know, as far as product market fit, you got to make sure that you've got it right. So we thought about some data plays and uh, right this second, we don't have a data product, but we started experimenting with content. So this is this is where having digital media is really interesting. Started experimenting with content because we we tried to find a media headquarters on an airport because that makes sense, right? If you can have a plane fly in and you can do a video type thing with yep. a big hangar, like that is you know makes sense. Every single airport in our area laughed at us and said, good luck. You're on at least a five-year wait list if you can get it inside of there because there's just no hangar space. And there's a couple of regulatory reasons why. So we said, well, let's build an airport because if we can't get onto a runway, well, then let's build an airport. And well, if we're going to build an airport, we don't want to just rent hangars because that's a big headache and you can't really make a bunch of money there. We said, okay, well, if we're going to build an airport, let's build houses around it. Well, if we're going to build houses around it, why would anybody want to live there? And so we are monetizing the brand authority that flying has via aviation real estate. Um, So we're building a fly-in community in Southeast Tennessee. And how we came across that, we actually hired a contract aviation real estate writer, and we started publishing online content about aviation flying communities and it like took off. I mean, we're talking like had went, you know, in niche, you know, if you're talking about 10,000 page views, like that's taking off, right? It's that's like, wow, that's a lot of interest. We're like, okay, people love reading about this stuff. I read that article. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we started writing a couple of articles about how to build a hangar home and all that kind of stuff. And people loved reading about it. So we said, okay, well, we think that there's something here. So we went and toured a couple of air parks and said, these leave a lot to be desired for the non-aviation enthusiast, right? So a lot of times it's, it, this is a very male-dominated industry, and we're tr- we're trying to make a lot more awareness for uh, females entering into the industry, but uh, it's very male-dominated. And the guys love flying their airplanes, but their wives don't want to live at an airport, right? Because there's nothing to do. So we said, okay, how do we solve for that? And so we have a master planned aviation real estate community that includes a full spa, a community center, event centers, workout centers, hiking, mountain biking, rock climbing, fishing, a bunch of different amenities so that if you wanted to live there or you wanted you know, your friends to come in and spend some time with you, that you could do that. So it's, it's the combination of Alpine Air Park, which is in uh, Jackson Hole. 
and Blackberry Farms, which is in Knoxville, which is like a really high class culinary experience. And so we're marrying the best of those both two those two worlds and creating a master plan, aviation development community in Southeast Tennessee and some of the most beautiful parts of the country just in the in the Cumberland Gap area. So it's uh, about 40 minutes outside of Chattanooga, about an hour outside of Knoxville, about two hours to Nashville in a car. But most of our homeowners are going to have planes, so they're no more than 30 minutes away from all those major areas. Let me reiterate what I just heard. You bought a magazine, and now you're creating high-end luxury spas in a hangar. Yeah, essentially. I mean, Mostly. the spa is not no, going mean, to be I, in a hangar, yeah, but yeah, yeah. yeah but you near, the idea. It's a, you're creating the aviation community. So what I love about this, and I think this is what a lot of media operators don't get right, is you actually like, there's someone I meet with all the time, and he always says, like, start at the very beginning, the very beginning with your audience. And the reality is the magazine is the end Actually, it's like I already own the plane, already have this hobby, already have this thing. And then you're like giving me content that I really enjoy and this like beautiful experience. But like that's not the beginning. And most media companies can't ever admit that, that like you didn't make them get into this. They already have this and you're enhancing what you all are doing is saying like, whoa, let's go to the beginning. How can we like have more people enter the space? How can we have people fly more often? How can we like actually create more activity here? And you found the problem of like living situation sucks. It's not necessarily a cool experience for couples to go on. How do we increase that? More people flying, more distribution, it goes. Yeah, so I I talk to my team a lot about and flying is the front door to aviation, right? And it has been. We did not create that, right? So when we acquired the business, we did not build that authority. I want to make that very clear that this is not the brainchild of Craig Fuller and Preston Holland and saying, okay, we're going to do this. The authority existed. We identified it as the authority. You think about brand and, you know, if you're a marketer, we own the word for the activity, you can't really get much better than that, right? Right. It would be like, I mean, it's literally the equivalent of like owning the name SaaS, right? Or like owning the name Financial Times, right? Like it doesn't get much more clear about what it is, right? You don't have to guess. There's no assuming what we are. So that's a beautiful authority piece. The other thing is, is that, that we found with the real estate community, and this is something that we didn't even anticipate, But we have had homeowners who have put real money down, deposits down on homes, tell us that because Flying Magazine is involved with this, I know it's going to be successful. Right. The brand halo exists. Oh, exactly. It like you've you've created it's like um, it's you walk into Disney and you just know that it's going to be an experience, not because you've ever been there. It's just like, you know, right. And like, you're doing that in aviation through a halo media brand. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so when you think about cost for that level of authority, you can't really put a price tag on it. I actually was writing some thoughts down the other night. And what is the, what is the EBITDA multiple of brand authority in media businesses? Because I think that that's something that you do, you you know, you you can calculate the goodwill multiplier, right? 
that's a pretty common, yeah. you know, financial multiplier. But in media businesses, that goodwill and brand authority multiplier is so much higher than it is with just an owned brand. If you think about like Toyota, the brand multiplier on Toyota is a certain level, but the brand multiplier on DuPont registry is higher. There's a higher multiplier of brand authority and brand goodwill when you're a media brand that covers multiple brands, right? So you're now the the keeper of that authority with, you know, who you are. And how do you accomplish that? Very strict editorial standards to where you do not let commercial influence your editorial decisions. You have very clear lines around those two ideas. You write really good content. I mean, it's content first, right? And whatever your delivery mechanism is, we have a print magazine, we have a digital website, we have a newsletter, but whatever your medium is, it's that good content that increases that brand multiplier. Um, and that's what you get with a media brand that you do not get with an owned brand. Um, you and I have had a discussion about the hustle and HubSpot, right? And what a really great acquisition. Where HubSpot got such a great value and arguably bargain for that was because they did not, or they saw the brand multiplier and they saw the authority multiplier as so much more value than what was reflected probably on the PL. Now, I don't know exactly what the acquisition number was, but my personal love for the Hustle brand, I know that it was, you know, it was probably undervalued. I would agree. Um, I think the thing that's always existed, I've said this before, but like media has what I refer to as like cultural liquidity, like they own the narrative. And when you control a narrative, you control everything. And like people don't want to admit it, but it's true. Like there's a reason why the wealthiest people in the world always go after media companies, because like when you control the narrative, you control everything else. Like, come on, Elon, we get it like uh, Bezos post, but like even going back to like the Pulitzer, like everybody always has done this for hundreds of years. But like the LA Times, I use this example a lot, but it's just like so shocking. Like they control the narrative of the most culturally driven city in the United States. Like everyone knows the LA Times, their brand authority is high. You know every what they write about. Like you can live in Tennessee and you know the LA Times. And they sold for like a tenth of what HR software sell for. Like the economic liquidity and the cultural liquidity in media just has never coexisted. And what makes flying interesting is you're saying like, we, we know that we embrace it. Like P and L's of media companies are hard, but like, we're going to actually capitalize on this cultural liquidity where we get the economic upside instead of like selling to Delta. That's the strategy. Yeah, that's exactly right. If you look at our long-term strategy, what does an exit look like? I'm not exactly sure, to be quite frank with you, but an exit does not look like a scaled up media business at all. Yeah. And the the way that we're thinking about acquisitions and the way that we're thinking about other bolt-on or developed out, you know, can we build it? Can we buy it? As we're looking at those things, it's all around this idea of a content driven, but part of what is in that content is that cultural authority, content and brand driven fill in the blank. So Our aviation real estate community is a content and brand authority driven real estate community. If we have a data product, it's going to be a content and brand authority driven data product. If we have a 
marketplace. It's going to be a content and brand authority driven marketplace. And like that strategy is everywhere. HubSpot, you brought them up. They've always been content forward and they're, they've been pretty good at their SEO. Their blog is good. The, yeah, like the, at least the way they rank as well. The, the HubSpot SEO game is like, like next. Uh, it's like a masterbook. Um, but the difference, and even with someone like HubSpot, I would argue, but like anybody that like is even content for it. And we can talk about Andreessen Horowitz with content. Like they're great at it, but like it's not it's not what you necessarily do for a living. And when like, you know, I think that people kind of like you you said how you build authority earlier. And like those are the things that most people don't have the time to spend on if you actually have other focuses. I'd love to know how you running day to day of flying, how do you actually manage selling homes to wealthy individuals? building plans and making sure that like you brought up advertisers like that they want print not digital like you're obviously still running a media business what are actual tangible examples or tactical takeaways that you help kind of manage that diverse of a day yeah so uh first of all i don't sleep much because i also have a six-month-old so uh it all gets a little soupy when it talks i have a four-month-old so tell me it gets better uh it doesn't um hasn't yet (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Uh, I'll let you know what it does, but okay, actually, okay, that's that's not true. We slept through the night on Friday for the first time in like a long time. I mean, I was so happy. Anyways, <laughs> we digress. So on, on the day to day side, we run a fairly flat structure. When you think about org chart, um, that as we have progressed has started just out of necessity, has had to go has had to start getting a little bit deeper just so that people at the top management could get more off of their plate. And so I am very much in the day-to-day in the media business. And then at kind of the the higher level, we have a, a team of five that are working on the real estate development. So I am one of five. So luckily, I'm not having to do all of the outreach and uh, fundraising and all of that good stuff for the real estate project. We have an individual that's handling that. And that person like has real estate, like you hired that person to do that job specifically, right? Yeah. So he, he's one of the managing partners in kind of the group. And so he manages that side of the day-to-day. And then he and I talk probably two or three times a week. And for me, I'll jump on calls with prospective homeowners so that I know kind of the general sentiment um, and can make better informed decisions about the media business based off of that. I do have a... a editorial team that kind of manages those staff writers. So we have, I believe we have 10 writers and three editors. I think that's right. And then a slew of contract writers as well that write for different content sources. Yeah. And so uh, those managing editors, you know, report, they'll report back to me. They'll elevate things if it needs to come to my attention. But, you know, I've got weekly check-ins with them. And then on the sales side and on the, on the commercialization side, I'm pretty involved in that day to day as well. That's I, I'm much more comfortable in that world than like writing. Yeah, I'm not a great writer. You know, I'm working on it. I'm here's a little plug for Sam Parr's course. I'm doing his copywriting course to try and up my writing game. But uh, I'm much more comfortable in that direction and then the commercialization side. Um, and so I'm I'm pretty involved in the day to day of the commercial side. So helping productize, helping you know, grow our performance marketing arm and really trying to double down on that from a, that's a content commercial side. Um, And so that's kind of my, you know, day to day. And then 
you know, once a month I have to get a magazine out the door and make sure that the printer has funds in the postal account and everything's going on press and schedules and all that good stuff. So um, we have a a pretty robust team um, of individuals and each have expertise in their own area. But yeah, so that's kind of my day-to-day. I I do a lot of uh, context switching. And so it's made me pretty good at, you know, being able to go from a real estate call straight into a podcast interview, straight into a call with editorial, straight into a sales presentation. Um, So, you know, doing that and then trying to block off some parts of my day so that I can sit down and get some critical thinking in and things like that. So, What's something in the next 12 months, which company like will everyone kind of like, are you watching that everyone you think should be paying attention to, but no one's really talking about right now? So I was at a conference this past week and uh, this one, I, I put a lot of thought into this, uh, to the end of this question, because I was like, I feel like I, you know, I kind of been watching everybody in my circles knows who everybody is. This, this particular company popped out of me. His name is Pim DeWitt. He co-founded metal.tv. And I don't know if any of the listeners are familiar with this, but it's essentially a social sharing platform for gaming and for esports. Cool. And so their their founder gave a gave a fireside chat at this uh, conference that I was at, and he was thinking about things in a way. It was a it was a room full of five hundred media executives from all the top firms and M and A and private equity. And I thought to myself, there might be ten people in this room who really understand what he's talking about when he starts talking about viral community and cross platforming and creating identity in a digital world. And so I think, I think they're going to do some really interesting things in kind of the multimedia space. So I, I'd take a look at them. Basically it's a, it's clip sharing for gaming. And I, you know, full transparency, am not a gamer, have never been a gamer, but watching the gaming industry is incredibly interesting. And a lot of what we are seeing in media comes out of games. Um, yeah. So like the, the concept of community. Yeah. It's like, and so they're th- he's thinking about things in a way that, you know, gaming has not figured out cross-platform. They're very bad at it. You have to get off of a platform and, you know, in order to have the social experience. But they're really thinking about that integration piece. And that's what I would take a look at for the next 12 months. I think they're going to do some really interesting stuff. I think like an ideal company of today learns the identity and brand and engagement of a gaming company and like the monetization of like what niche B2B is doing of like yeah. understanding how to do that. Like if you can go deep like that with the brand identity of gaming, like that's that's a modern media business to me. And gaming, there's no better actual real. We talk about like loyalty a lot in media. It's like kind of bullshit. Loyalty is like when you're like, I can't wait to literally share this thing I did with my friends. And like yeah. that is that's gaming's nailed that. Another thing that I think gaming has figured out to piggyback off that point is like here's a newsflash to most media publishers. Like you care way more about what you're saying than most anybody else cares that it was you saying, if that makes sense. Yeah. Now, can you influence somebody and does that all compound? Yes. But the days of bylines are very few and far between. And you have to have a Twitter personality or a social media personality to really have a personal identity as a media operator. And so yeah, gaming has figured that out. That like, if you can empower somebody to share what they care about, then they're that makes it super sticky. 
looking longer term, when you're thinking about flying and, and just in general in the media industry, what do you think will be totally different in five years from now? One of the pieces of our thesis, traditional large publishers publish multiple verticals. So if you look at if you look at the traditional publishers that have a home and garden vertical and they also have a equestrian vertical and they also have a something like totally unrelated, right? They might be related and they'll say, oh yeah, we have this you know group of publishers that are all the same. There's not really a lot of crossover audience, you know, if you're really honest with yourself. So they've built up all these big conglomerates. I think that we're going to see over the next five years, similar to what we've done with flying, and I'm not saying this because I think we're leading this industry. I think I'm hoping that we are early to this, but I am seeing it in other verticals, that you're going to start seeing a refocus in a publishing aspect to become far more uh, defined and far more narrow and far deeper uh, when you start talking about content. Outside is doing something really interesting where they've actually done a hybrid approach to this, right? So you have someone, you have yoga. I'll just give you two examples, right? There's a, they have a yoga publication um, and a bicycling publication. Is somebody who's into bicycling going to be into yoga? Potentially. I mean, it's far more likely that someone's going to be into yoga and bicycling than yoga and like gardening, competitive eating or gardening or like whatever. I think that we're going to start seeing a lot more of that. So outside is doing something interesting where they're, where they're bringing in very, very specific adjacent audiences and then monetizing it via large subscription. I think that we'll continue to see even more niching down and more specialization in these verticals and then taking them and monetize. I, I think we're going to continue to see this, this trend that we've seen in B2B media. Uh, I think it's going to hit consumers sooner rather than later and monetize those brands in alternative ways and really get really get narrow in an industry. Yeah. And alternative ways being like starting a residential area outside of an airport. Right. Like yeah, that exactly. kind of exactly. Yeah. Uh what is something in five years, like everyone loves to talk about changes, but like the reality is a lot doesn't change. Uh what's something that you think you can take to the bank will be the exact same in five years? Credit cards. I mean I don't think crypto is going to change the way that we change money. I, it's so expensive right now. I, and I could be totally wrong on that, but that's one of the things that I was having a conversation the other day. It's like, it is so expensive to send Ethereum. Like, I don't have as much Ethereum as the gas fees cost right now. Like, it's insane. Yeah. And sure, there's companies that are doing it. But then, like, if I lose my key, like, my money's gone and I can't get it. It was hilarious. I, I heard an interview with the... Uh, CEO of Forbes, Forbes has 14 Bitcoin floating out in the ether somewhere and they lost the keys to it. So like, come on, man, like payments are not that broken. I don't see us changing payments anytime soon. And that's not really media, but it does because it's, you know, subscription. Well, I I think it's interesting is like if you view it as a payment, if solving for payments, I totally agree with you. I think if you instead view it as like incentive alignment, is like where that comes in to play. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. It's very, very difficult to do incentive alignment in like a traditional what monetization path, where if you have a token, it does allow for that to be easier. I think crypto actually solves the online digital truth problem far more than it solves payments. And I think that, that the, the incentive piece is very interesting. I think we're a long way away from and from mass adoption of that. But I think it does, you know, if you can 
decentralize the idea of truth. If you think about the online world, and if you've ever published on WordPress, you can change the proof with four clicks and a couple of backstrokes. I mean, there are digital footprints, but you know, nobody actually nobody really that. knows. They don't it's actually like, go look at the Wayback Machine. It's just the same way, like when the New York Times republishes something that they got wrong. No one sees that shit. Uh, right. Like it's just so there are ways to do it, but you're right. Like the actual truth is once out, once the first, it's just like a tweet where someone's wrong. And then you see the subtweet. They're like, hey, this is wrong. And the top tweet has like 10,000 retweets. And the second one has like 200. And you're like, no one sees this. Right. Exactly. So there's a big truth problem on the Internet. I mean, that's been true for a long time, but I, I think crypto actually has the best chance of solving that. But I don't think we're changing the way that we're actually exchanging money or collecting money in the next five years. And then another thing that I, I don't see going away is I think the creator economy is here to stay. It's far too easy to become discovered. And I think it coexists with the legacy media brands. I don't think it's one or the other. I think it's both. I agree with that. And so I think both of them are here to stay. I, you know, creators are disrupting media companies going to run them out of business. No, they're not. But also, you know, creator economy is not going away. I think the weaker ones can get their launch eaten. Like if you're not running a great media operation, I think I think you're going to start to see clear ceilings of media companies that like they can't get over X amount of revenue because like they can't get over the growth side and competing with the creators that are growing organically that are like the same way. The hard part that like the way that creators can't beat a media company is that they don't like if you're on your own you don't even have they don't even have contract they don't have insertion orders like you know right. and so i agree and then like you know there's also i think no one's talking about this brian morrissey and i talked about this on the last episode but like there's a laziness factor with marketers too like they don't want to work with one creator to get this breach they want to work with like a company that they can have a larger reach because and have more clicks like there ends up being like just a lazy performance aspect to that as well yeah no absolutely and that's you know ties into my my other conversation is that when you go hyper niche, you lose a bit of that cross-platform scale. So how do you reposition, you know, really leverage the brand authority in that from like a monetization side? Yeah. Um, awesome. Preston, it was so fun to getting to know you. Everyone should to follow you on Twitter and stay in touch with what you're doing with flying and the overall ecosystem of what there could be an entire case study about uh, freight waves. And then you guys are rinsing and repeating the model with a different niche, which shows the scalability. It's awesome. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful for the time today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Adam. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay ahead of media's next move, then make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen. I'll see you next time.